You're listening to the Mens Rea podcast, and this is the story of Daniel McDonald. of Friday, February the 2nd, 2007, Arklow man Eddie McElheron was heading home after a night out in the town when he heard a loud bang. He turned to see what the source of the noise was and he noticed a red Honda Civic in the middle of the road which looked like it had been in a head-on collision. A short distance away he could see a man lying injured on the road and McElheron, who was trained in first aid, went to see if he could help. The wounded man was 21-year-old Daniel MacDonald. The Arklow native was a plasterer by trade and was said to be a very nice guy by all who knew him. Daniel enjoyed life and was known for being the life and soul of the party, loving nothing more than socialising with friends and belting out his favourite songs in karaoke. Along with his love of fun and mischief, Daniel was sports mad and he played football for local team Arklow Celtic while also maintaining a strict bodybuilding and weight training regime. When Eddie McElheron reached him, Daniel was bleeding heavily from the mouth and seemed to be choking on the blood. McElheron crouched down beside the young man, asking if he could hear him and pinching his ear to see if he could rouse a reaction. However, there was no response from Daniel. By this time, a crowd had started to gather at the scene and a number of the onlookers were becoming hysterical. One woman shouted that Daniel was her cousin, so McElheron called her over, asking her to hold Daniel's hand and to speak to him, which she did. A number of people who had witnessed the incident had called the emergency services, and when Gardy arrived a few minutes later, they found a chaotic scene surrounding the gravely injured man. The officers gave Eddie McElheron a rubber glove so that he could try and clear Daniel's airway, but it was of no use and as an ambulance arrived on scene, Daniel had stopped breathing. Daniel was then rushed to St. Columkill's Hospital in Lachlanstown, Dublin, where doctors attempted to resuscitate him. Back in Arklow, news of the crash spread quickly, and as the hours wore on, a large number of Daniel's family and friends began to arrive at the hospital, waiting anxiously for an update on his condition. Unfortunately, at 6am, they were told that despite the best efforts of the medical personnel, Daniel had passed away. As medics battled to save Daniel MacDonald's life, another young man, 21-year-old Anthony O'Reilly, presented himself at Arklow Garda Station, claiming that three men had beaten him up in the town. O'Reilly, who was from Ballyfermot in Dublin, was drunk and extremely agitated as he spoke to Sergeant Thomas Finnerty demanding that Gardy do something about the men who had allegedly assaulted him. He became increasingly hostile as he stood in the foyer at the station and splashed blood from a gash above his eye at the sergeant while he insisted that photographs be taken of his injuries. Anthony O'Reilly was arrested for disorderly conduct and was placed in a cell just as Sergeant Finnerty received a call about the incident on Lower Main Street. Writing for the Irish Examiner, Nicola Boyles reported that when O'Reilly heard that the sergeant was leaving to attend an accident scene, he had said, 
I didn't mean for him to die. I was driving the car that hit him. He fucked up messing with me. Fuck him anyway. While in custody, a urine sample was taken from O'Reilly for analysis, and when he spoke to Sergeant Finnerty later on the Friday morning, he asked him how Daniel MacDonald was. On hearing that the young plasterer was dead, O'Reilly asked the sergeant, quote, What am I going to do? O'Reilly was released from custody, but was arrested later that morning for dangerous driving, and, in response, said that he was very sorry. Gardie set about questioning witnesses and examining the scene where Daniel MacDonald had been found injured. Although Thursday night was generally quiet in Arklow town, it was believed that around 40 people may have been in the immediate vicinity of the crash when it happened. The area was sealed off and the Garda Technical Bureau was called to the scene to examine the crash site. Early eyewitness reports indicated that the 1993 registered red Honda Civic had hit Daniel MacDonald on the road before mounting a curb and ploughing through a steel bollard. The car then travelled a further 15 metres, damaging a number of shop fronts before finally coming to a stop close to the Bridge Street corner of Lower Main Street. The crash caused extensive damage to the car, smashing the windscreen, denting the roof and tearing off the front bumper. The steel bollard was still wedged under the front of the motor, and traces of red paint from the body of the vehicle could be seen on the wall of Barron's menswear shop where the car had scraped it. One shop window had been broken, and another had its door damaged. The scale of the scene meant that the forensic examination was labour-intensive, and because of this, the wrecked car remained on site for almost 24 hours as technical officers conducted their investigation. Once this had concluded, Officers from the Garda Traffic Corps were brought in to examine dozens of forensic markers to try and build a clear idea of the sequence of events that had led to Daniel's death. Deputy State Pathologist Michael Curtis also attended the scene to help Gardie with their inquiries. A post-mortem found that Daniel had suffered a number of cuts and abrasions over his body. However, the main injuries found were a 9cm by 4cm fracture to his skull along with fractures to five of his ribs and bruising to his lungs. This led Dr. Curtis to give a cause of death as vehicular trauma to the head and chest. He reported that Daniel's head injuries were so severe that his brain had been torn. At the time of his death, his blood alcohol level was found to be 144, which Dr. Curtis surmised would have left the young man mildly intoxicated. Officers on the ground in Arklow continued to interview witnesses, appealing for any late-night drinkers who may have seen something to come forward. CCTV from nearby businesses was also being examined, and as Gardie pieced together the various eyewitness accounts and forensic evidence, a definite picture began to emerge. According to reports, Daniel MacDonald had gone for a few drinks on Thursday evening with a group of friends. Their night out culminated in the early hours of Friday morning in Rascals on Main Street. The premises consisted of a bar on the ground floor with a recently refurbished nightclub on the first floor of the building and it was here on the dance floor that Daniel's path crossed with Anthony O'Reilly. Friends of Daniel's told Gardie that there had been a verbal altercation between the pair which resulted in both Daniel MacDonald and Anthony O'Reilly being kicked out of the nightclub by security staff at around 10 to 2 in the morning. The men were in a state of agitation and the fight continued on the street outside where O'Reilly was heard threatening to kill Daniel. 
O'Reilly was then seen jumping into the front passenger seat of a parked car, owned by a local woman named Jenny Tobin, who was sitting in the car with her friend Samantha Earls. Tobin told Gardee that O'Reilly had demanded that she drive, and as the car took off, Daniel MacDonald's leg came through the open passenger window at O'Reilly. With his leg stuck in the window as the car moved, Daniel grabbed the car's roof for leverage and eventually managed to free himself. O'Reilly then insisted that Tobin drive him to another friend's house who he knew owned a shotgun. As the trio came back through Main Street, O'Reilly spotted Daniel again and grabbed the steering wheel from Samantha Tobin, causing the car to swerve towards MacDonald. Tobin got back control of the car and began to head away, but then O'Reilly saw a friend driving his red Honda Civic, so he jumped out of Samantha's car and got into his own. O'Reilly then drove to the bottom of the town, giving Daniel and his friends the finger as he sped past them. When O'Reilly reached the end of the road, his car was seen turning and then tearing back up towards the group. It was then that Daniel MacDonald stepped out onto the road, gesticulating at O'Reilly with his hands as if to say, come on, and with that, O'Reilly's car had revved up and swerved towards Daniel, hitting the young man so hard that he was thrown high into the air. The red Honda Civic sped on and mounted the pavement, hit the shop fronts and careened over to the side of the road. When he came to a stop, O'Reilly got out and ran back to Jenny Tobin's car, telling her that he had just killed someone and demanded that she take him to the Garda station. On Monday the 5th of February 2007, Daniel MacDonald was laid to rest under clear blue skies. His funeral was one of the largest that the town of Arklow had seen in recent years. His devastated family and friends flocked into the church of Saints Mary and Peter in Arklow, unable to comprehend the fact that the young man they all knew and loved, who had been so full of life just before the weekend, was now gone. The crowd was so large that every seat in the church was taken, and mourners spilled out the door onto the path outside. As one of four siblings, his loss had left a gaping hole for his older sister and two younger brothers, who were just seven and nine years old at the time of his death. According to an article on Daniel's life, which was published in the Irish Independent, the boys had idolised their big brother, often wanting to dress in the same style as him and emulate him. Daniel's girlfriend of three years was also heartbroken by his loss. Daniel's passion and talent for sport was symbolised during the funeral mass with a pair of his boxing gloves, a football and a dumbbell weight being displayed as some of the defining elements of his short life. Daniel's love of Manchester United and Glasgow Celtic football club were also represented, with both club jerseys draped over his coffin as it sat at the altar of the church surrounded by floral tributes that spelled out who the young man was to his family, son, brother, cousin. Throughout the day, groups of Daniel's friends took it in turn to act as pallbearers, carrying his coffin through the stages of the funeral until eventually it was led by a lone piper into St. Gabriel's Cemetery. His favourite song, which was Patience by Guns N' Roses, was played as he was lowered into the ground, and 21 white doves were released to mark each year of his short life. (music) 
This episode is sponsored by our good friends over at HelloFresh. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit, delivering you fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and easy-to-follow recipes so you can have quick and delicious home-cooked meals in a snap. With HelloFresh, you pick the meals that look good to you and avoid searching shops for the ingredients you need, time wasted waiting in lines, and food waste, because they only send you what you need. It's all delivered right to your door, so it couldn't be easier to have home-cooked meals. Figuring out what's for dinner is not at the top of anyone's summer activity wish list. I know that whenever the sun chooses to shine, I much prefer to have a cold summer beverage in hand than to be worrying about getting the dinner ready. Also, HelloFresh Market has new snacks, meals, and more to add on to your weekly order, like their fun s'mores bundle. It says here that it's for kids, but I think that's a misprint. It should say for Sinead. I'm delighted to say that right now, HelloFresh is offering Mens Rea listeners an amazing deal. Head to HelloFresh.com slash MensRea16 and use the code MensRea16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. There's a reason why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. So give it a try. Head to HelloFresh.com slash MensRea16 and use the code MensRea16 for 16 free meals shipped free right to your door. On the 31st of May 2007, Anthony O'Reilly appeared before Bridewell District Court, where he was charged with the murder of Daniel MacDonald. He was remanded in custody but was later granted bail of €3,000 in the High Court, on the condition that he sign on with Gardaí every day. Just short of a year later, on the 8th of April 2008, O'Reilly's trial commenced before Mr Justice Kevin O'Higgins, where a jury of six men and six women were sworn in. The court proceedings received extensive coverage in the Irish Independent, where it was reported that O'Reilly pleaded not guilty to murdering Daniel MacDonald, not guilty to dangerous driving causing the death of Daniel MacDonald, and not guilty to intentionally or recklessly grabbing the steering wheel of Jenny Tobin's car, causing it to swerve in the direction of Daniel MacDonald. In his opening statement to the court, Mr Patrick Marinan, senior counsel for the state, said that O'Reilly had driven to Arklow with friends and gone to Rascal's nightclub, where he got into some, quote, argy-bargy with Daniel MacDonald. Upon being ejected from the club by security staff, the men continued to fight, and O'Reilly threatened to kill MacDonald. Mr Marinan outlined how O'Reilly had gotten into Samantha Tobin's car, sitting on top of her passenger, before instructing Tobin to drive. Almost simultaneously, Daniel MacDonald had tried to come after the accused through the open passenger window and kicked out at him. The senior counsel continued, quote, You will hear evidence of the quite amazing picture of Daniel MacDonald hanging on for dear life with his right foot inside the car as he was hanging on to the roof. After MacDonald had broken free from the car, Jenny Tobin drove off with her passenger and Anthony O'Reilly in the car, and Mr Marinan said that the court would hear that at this point in time, O'Reilly was cracking up, having lost his temper. Mr Marinan went on to describe to the jury how the trio drove back through the town with O'Reilly grabbing the steering wheel from Ms Tobin, causing the vehicle to swerve towards Daniel MacDonald. The prosecuting counsel said, quote, So that's twice Daniel MacDonald flirted with serious injury, and he had been lucky, but that wasn't the end of the events that evening. Mr Marinan continued with the timeline detailing how O'Reilly had eventually got out of Jenny Tobin's car and gotten behind the wheel of his own Honda Civic. 
There would be evidence that the accused drove through the town at speed and turned back to where MacDonald was. When MacDonald moved out into the road, gesturing at O'Reilly, the car then swerved towards him. The court heard that MacDonald hit the windscreen of O'Reilly's car, smashing his head, before being thrown up to 40 metres into the air. The jury would hear that there were no brake marks on the road and, following the collision, O'Reilly's car had mounted the pavement and caused further damage in the village. Later, after he had taken it upon himself to go to Arklo Garda station, the accused had eventually made admissions to Gardi related to the crash and was subsequently arrested for public disorder. That day, the jury were shown CCTV footage from the night in question, where O'Reilly's car could be seen approaching MacDonald as he walked on Main Street. The recording showed the impact as Daniel MacDonald's body was thrown up into the air before he landed on the left side of the road and people gathered around him. On the second day of the proceedings, O'Reilly's friend Keith Ennis gave evidence, telling the court that he had gone to pick up O'Reilly's red Honda Civic after O'Reilly had been kicked out of Rascals for fighting with Daniel MacDonald. Ennis said he had stopped the car behind a black car that he thought belonged to another of O'Reilly's friends, Alana Toomey. He had gotten out of the car to talk to Alana, and as he did so, O'Reilly passed him, getting into the Honda Civic and taking off with the engine revving. The witness described how he had seen O'Reilly deliberately pull the steering wheel to the right to hit MacDonald, saying, quote, The next thing I saw was Anto coming, running up the road with four fellas chasing him and blood on his face. Ennis told the court that he knew that something had happened, so he ran and hid in some bushes for two hours and called his mother to come and pick him up. Next to give evidence was Cassandra Dunbar. She had heard O'Reilly threatened to kill Daniel MacDonald outside Rascals and said that the man had been irate and asking a friend of his for car keys. She said he was, quote, screaming like a lunatic. Ms Dunbar then saw the accused jump into Jenny Tobin's car and witnessed how Mr MacDonald had gotten his foot stuck in the window. She said that sometime later she was standing on the road when a red Honda Civic sped by and her friend had pulled her in off the road to avoid being hit by it. Not long after, Ms Dunbar said she heard a loud bang and looked up to see glass going everywhere as a shirtless O'Reilly with blood on his face got out of the red car and ran away. Another bystander, Zoe Walker, told the prosecuting counsel that she and a friend had asked O'Reilly to calm down after he had been kicked out of Rascals, but that O'Reilly had responded by pushing her friend and telling her to get out of the way. Walker said that about 10 minutes later, a red car passed her on Main Street. O'Reilly was behind the wheel and Walker said that the car was going so fast that she hardly saw it. She then heard shouting and a loud bang, and when the car stopped, she saw O'Reilly get out and realised that someone had been knocked down. As the first week of the trial came to a close, key witness Jenny Tobin took to the stand. According to Ms Tobin, she had been sitting in her car near Rascals when an enraged O'Reilly had jumped into the car on top of her friend, Samantha Earls. Tobin said that she was afraid and didn't know what was going on. She said that O'Reilly had told her to, quote, drive the fucking car or you're dead. Tobin moved on to testify that when she realised that Daniel MacDonald's foot was trapped in the passenger window, she had slowed the car and let the window down to free him. O'Reilly then demanded that she drive him to a friend's house to get a shotgun. 
As they passed the chemist in town, Tobin recalled that she saw Daniel MacDonald standing on the side of the street, and when O'Reilly spotted him, he had grabbed the steering wheel from her, turning it in the direction of MacDonald, but she had pulled the wheel back. O'Reilly had then jumped out and gotten into his own car, driving off at speed, but Tobin said he was not in control, and he had sideswiped her car as he took off. Shortly after this, O'Reilly came running back up the street, shirtless and covered in blood. Tobin said that he shouted that he had killed someone and then he threatened to kill her parents if she didn't drive him to the Garda station, which she did because she was terrified of him. The second week of the trial opened with Michael Kenny, who said he'd seen O'Reilly speed up as he approached Daniel MacDonald. Mr. Kenny testified that the red Honda Civic hadn't braked before the impact. He said, quote, The car hit his legs and his head hit the windscreen and he just flicked up in the air. Following Mr. Kenny's evidence, Samantha Earls testified that O'Reilly had jumped into Jenny Tobin's car on top of her. Her leg was jammed in the door because of O'Reilly, she said, and he had been, quote, going mad, hitting the dashboard with his fists. Ms. Earls added that as they reached the top of the town, O'Reilly had demanded to be taken to get a shotgun. Ms. Earls' testimony aligned with that given by Jenny Tobin, that Anthony O'Reilly had grabbed the steering wheel as they drove, with Ms. Earls adding that, in her opinion, O'Reilly seemed more angry than frightened. Next, Pascal O'Reilly, a friend of Daniel MacDonald, told Mr Justice O'Higgins that Anthony O'Reilly had plenty of opportunity to leave Arklow before he hit MacDonald with his car. Pascal said that O'Reilly was, quote, acting like the Antichrist after the fight in Rascals. He detailed the close calls that MacDonald had had with Jenny Tobin's car, saying that after his friend's leg had been freed from the car window, Daniel had rolled off the car and walked back to Pascal, saying, quote, That was mad. Pascal then described seeing O'Reilly's Honda Civic returning back through the town. He'd stated, quote, What was he coming back for? He had a million opportunities to get out of town. He knew exactly what he was doing. The witness described what happened next. Daniel MacDonald had stepped out into the middle of the left lane to wave O'Reilly down, and, quote, The red car veered straight on to the wrong side of the road, hit Daniel, threw him 20 feet into the air and missed me. I clearly saw he swerved in to hit Daniel MacDonald. There's no doubt in my mind. Under cross-examination by Mr Peter Levert defending, Pascal said that he never thought that O'Reilly would write off his car trying to kill them. At this, Mr Levert asked whether he thought anyone would be mad enough to do such a thing. Pascal responded, quote, Well, we're obviously here today to prove that he is. Another witness, Colin Harty, gave evidence that on the night of Daniel MacDonald's death, he saw two Dublin men shouting at three Arklow men outside Rascals. One of the Dublin men, alleged to be O'Reilly, then ran off and MacDonald followed him towards a black car. Mr Harty said that at the car there was a scuffle and the car drove off with Daniel MacDonald hanging off it with his foot stuck in the window. MacDonald freed his foot and rolled off the car. The witness had also seen the car driving back through the street and swerving at MacDonald before driving off again. The court heard evidence from Dr Michael Curtis of his findings during Daniel MacDonald's post-mortem. He described the extent of MacDonald's horrific head and chest injuries, telling the jury that the young man's skull fracture was so severe that his brain had been torn. Dr Curtis said that often when people are struck by a car in such a manner, They presented with broken legs, however this was not the case with Daniel MacDonald. 
the pathologist said that it had been suggested to him that MacDonald had possibly jumped into the air before impact in an attempt to avoid being hit, and that this would explain the absence of leg fractures. Following Dr. Curtis's testimony, Eddie McElheron took to the stand. He recounted the events of February 2nd, describing how he had been on the phone to his girlfriend as he walked home after a night out, when he heard a loud bang. Mr. McElheron said that he saw a, quote, red boy racer car in the middle of the road with a lot of damage to the front of the vehicle. He then saw Daniel MacDonald lying on the ground nearby and went over to see if he could offer assistance to the injured man, but the man was not responsive. McElheron said, quote, he was heavily bleeding from the mouth and seemed like he was choking on the blood. Mr. McElheron said that the scene was one of escalating chaos, that people were screaming and becoming hysterical. Once the guardee arrived and gave him a glove, the witness recalled trying to clear McDonald's airway, but that McDonald had stopped breathing just as the ambulance arrived. Local woman Aoife Gallagher recalled that she had been driving around Arklow on the night of Daniel McDonald's death and told the court that earlier on in the night, she had seen Anthony O'Reilly standing in the middle of the road, acting like a lunatic, screaming and shouting. She said, quote, he was shouting, there's going to be war, I'm going to fucking kill him. Ms. Gallagher also remembered seeing the accused getting into Jenny Tobin's car and sitting on top of Samantha Earls. The witness claimed that she had never before seen anyone as agitated as O'Reilly was when she saw him shouting in the middle of the road. Ms. Gallagher said, quote, there was a horrible atmosphere after that. It was just so obviously the anger. Following a short adjournment to deal with a legal issue, Anthony O'Reilly's trial resumed on Monday the 21st of April, with Sergeant Finnerty giving evidence of O'Reilly's arrest and subsequent interviews. Sergeant Finnerty said that O'Reilly was in a drunken and agitated state when he arrived at Arklow Garda Station. The young man claimed that three local lads had beaten him up, and he became increasingly irate as he demanded that a doctor be called and photographs be taken of his injuries. Sergeant Finnerty said that O'Reilly had flicked blood at him from a cut above his eye, which led to his arrest for public disorder, and he was put into a cell. As the sergeant prepared to leave the station after being notified of the crash on Main Street, he recalled how O'Reilly had admitted to driving the car that had hit Daniel MacDonald. Then O'Reilly's statements, which he had given voluntarily, were read to the court. He told Gardee that a group of six to eight Arklow lads had come up to him and his friends on the dance floor at Rascals. They were looking for aggro, he claimed, and when O'Reilly asked MacDonald what his problem was, he claimed that MacDonald had swore at him and hit him. The accused asserted that he couldn't remember grabbing the steering wheel and swerving toward MacDonald in Jenny Tobin's car, but he did recall getting into his own Honda Civic when he saw it stopped in the street. He told officers that the road curved, so he'd moved his car into the left lane to take the corner, but just as he was on the bend, MacDonald had stepped out in front of the car and he was driving too fast to stop. O'Reilly told Gardee, quote, I definitely didn't mean to hit this fellow with my car. He just stepped out in front of me. I just saw his face and I knew that something was terribly wrong. As the state geared up to conclude their case, the court heard about technical evidence found at the scene of the crash. 
There were no brake marks on the road, but there were acceleration scuff marks, which were consistent with a car accelerating away. Leading up to the point of impact, there were faint lines on the road, which suggested that the weight of the vehicle had shifted to take the bend. This was followed by damage to the road surface that was consistent with the pedestrian bollard being dragged along under the front of a car. The court was told that Arklow's main street was a 50 kilometre an hour zone. Garda Edward Davern, who was a road accident expert, testified that he had examined the CCTV footage of the incident and subsequently had taken measurements at the crash site. He estimated that O'Reilly's car was travelling at between 66 and 81 kilometres an hour at the time of the incident and that the bend in the road at that location could safely be taken at a maximum speed of 103 kilometres per hour. Garda Davern also told the court that on viewing the CCTV footage, he'd observed what he believed to be a brake light illuminating on the Honda before the impact. Garda Davern also gave evidence regarding the amount of time elapsed between Mr MacDonald appearing on the road in the footage to the point that O'Reilly's car had turned towards him. The Garda stated that when MacDonald was in view close to the centre of the road, O'Reilly's car could be seen to change course and cross the centre line towards him. Garda Davern had determined that there was a one-second delay between Daniel MacDonald coming into full view and the Honda changing course. It was a quick reaction, he said. Under cross-examination by defence counsel Blaise O'Carroll, Garda Davern was asked if the maximum speed of 103 kilometres an hour would require a Michael Schumacher-type driver or an average driver. Garda Davern responded that he didn't know. He told Mr O'Carroll that he had not looked at driver reaction times, but that the CCTV footage showed that the vehicle had changed course towards Daniel MacDonald as soon as he came into view. The court was told that there was a parked car in the area of the footpath that Daniel MacDonald had emerged from, and the jury were given photos taken of the street to show visibility, but Garda Davern told Mr O'Carroll that they had not been taken at the height that a driver would be sitting at. The witness agreed that because of the cars that were parked on the side of the road, MacDonald's upper body would have only been in view for a matter of two seconds before his full body came into view. Garda Davern said, quote, It would appear that it was a very quick reaction time, or the driver may have perceived the head and shoulders of the pedestrian as they emerged from the footpath, and that took place within the order of one to two seconds. Blaise O'Carroll for O'Reilly's defence informed the court that a civil engineer would be called to give evidence about centrifugal forces that impact a car and driver as they go around a corner. Mr O'Carroll went on to say that evidence would also be presented relating to average driver reaction times and that this evidence would suggest that the average reaction time for a driver was 1.65 seconds. Both the prosecution and defence were in agreement that O'Reilly was travelling at around 80 kilometres an hour, but Mr O'Carroll said that his expert witness would show that the speed O'Reilly was travelling was too fast to negotiate that corner. The defence would argue that his speed on this bend had left O'Reilly with no option but either break or cut the corner. Further, defence counsel contended that the radius of the curve in the road did not allow it to be safely negotiated at the speed that O'Reilly had been travelling, and that engineering guidelines for road design would be presented to the court which supported this. 
Garda Davern responded to Mr O'Carroll by saying that there were many roads in Ireland with corners that did not fit into the suggested guidelines. Quote, it's down to the judgment of the driver to adjust his speed in relation to the radius of the corner. The next day, consultant engineer Dennis Wood told the Central Criminal Court that the average reaction time for drivers in the face of unexpected events was one to three seconds. Dr. Wood said that there were 20% of drivers who would swerve, with the remaining 80% braking as a typical reaction. Having examined the CCTV footage and photographs taken at the scene, it was his opinion that O'Reilly would have had a full view of Daniel MacDonald for just over one second after MacDonald stepped into the road. Dr. Wood also concluded from his examination that MacDonald had been jumping up and down as he stood in the centre of the road and that if he had remained stationary or continued to cross to the other side of the road, then he would have avoided being hit by O'Reilly's car. On Friday the 25th of April, Caroline Biggs gave the prosecution's closing statement. She told the jury that it was up to them to decide whether or not O'Reilly was guilty of reckless endangerment as he grabbed the steering wheel of Jenny Tobin's car and swerved towards Daniel MacDonald. She said that the fact that O'Reilly had intended to cause MacDonald serious injury or to kill him was what made it murder. Ms Biggs asked the jury members to look at the evidence and assess what a reasonable person would have done in the same situation. O'Reilly had driven his Honda Civic across the centre line on the road towards MacDonald, and it was the prosecution's case that this act was a conscious decision. Ms Biggs concluded by saying that O'Reilly's defence claimed that MacDonald had put him in fear of his life, making him flee for his own safety, simply didn't stack up. In his summation, Blaise O'Carroll asserted that O'Reilly was indeed fleeing for his life, and while the accused wasn't a saint, he never had any intention of killing Daniel MacDonald. He backed up this claim by asking the jury to look at why O'Reilly had jumped into Jenny Tobin's car in the first place. It was because he was being pursued by MacDonald and his friends, said Mr O'Carroll. Mr Justice Kevin O'Higgins commenced his charge to the jury and they retired to consider their verdict shortly after 4pm on Tuesday the 29th of April. After seven hours and nine minutes of deliberation, they returned with a majority guilty verdict of 11 to 1. O'Reilly showed no emotion as the mandatory life sentence was handed down, and when he was led from the court, he looked over his shoulder and appeared to smirk. Because it was the first time that anyone had come before the courts in Ireland charged with using a motor vehicle as a weapon, the trial was a test case. O'Reilly was also found guilty of dangerous driving causing the death of MacDonald and reckless endangerment, which he would be sentenced for at a later date. In a tragic turn of events due to another family bereavement, Daniel MacDonald's family were absent from the court as the verdict was read out. On the 1st of May, the Evening Herald published comments from Glenn Murphy, a friend of Daniel MacDonald who was with him on the night that he died. Murphy said that he was still suffering from nightmares after the terrible event. He had watched in horror as Anthony O'Reilly's Honda Civic came up the street sounding like a boy racer, roaring in the direction of MacDonald. He said, quote, It was like something you see on Mondello Racetrack. You'd pay to do them kind of speeds. I just shouted to Daniel to get out of the way. As I shouted it, I could see the car going bang. Murphy went on to say that Daniel had been hit so hard that he had, quote, come level with the top of the pub's roof. 
On the 29th of May, O'Reilly appeared in court for sentencing on the charges of dangerous driving causing death and reckless endangerment. Prosecutor Patrick Maranan told the court that O'Reilly had a previous conviction for assault which he had picked up while on bail for the murder of Daniel MacDonald. In mitigation, defence counsel Peter Levert said that O'Reilly was the youngest of four children and that both of his parents suffered from ill health. They had stood by their son, he said. Passing sentence, Mr Justice O'Higgins stated that he deemed both offences to be at the more severe end of the scale and he handed down a term of eight years for dangerous driving causing death and a further six years for reckless endangerment. This gave O'Reilly an additional 14 years. However, they were set to run concurrently with his life sentence. Daniel MacDonald's cousin, Edwina Mythen, spoke in court on behalf of the MacDonald family, saying that Daniel was, quote, a good person who was adored beyond words. She said that the family cannot and will never come to terms with the loss of Daniel and that they were reminded of how he died every day as they walked past the murder scene. Edwina finished by saying that the MacDonalds were broken as a family, but they hoped to find the strength to carry on in family and friends. Outside the four courts, another cousin, Lorraine Kenny, read a statement written by Daniel MacDonald's family, which said, quote, Justice for our loving son Daniel has been done, but it does not end here for us. We will carry the heartache, pain and flashbacks of that horrific day for the rest of our lives. Anthony O'Reilly robbed our son of life. Anthony O'Reilly did not know our son. She continued, quote, How someone can carry out such an horrific crime is something we can never understand, but we will not live our lives through bitterness and anger, and we will not let Anthony O'Reilly destroy our lives. Daniel was a proud, loyal young man and we will respect his memory. Daniel went for a drink in his local and he never came home. It emerged after O'Reilly's trial that, in fact, he had had 18 previous convictions, including drug-related offences. On the 22nd of January 2009, he was found guilty of possessing almost €2,000 worth of cocaine, a charge which predated the murder. For this crime, he was given a further two-year sentence. Three months later, in April of 2009, O'Reilly's appeal of his life sentence for the murder of Daniel MacDonald was rejected. Lawyers on behalf of O'Reilly had argued that the prosecution's case contained inconsistencies, which made the conviction unsafe. Further, it was claimed that the trial judge had erred by not withdrawing the murder charge from the jury in circumstances where the prosecution's case contained an inherent contradiction. In particular, it was contended that Garda Davron had accepted and agreed with propositions from a technical witness for the defence that centrifugal force coupled with driver error may have resulted in O'Reilly driving towards MacDonald inadvertently. This contradicted the prosecution's claim that O'Reilly had deliberately knocked down Daniel MacDonald and, as part of his appeal, O'Reilly claimed that this inherent contradiction should have resulted in Mr Justice O'Higgins withdrawing the murder charge. However, the Court of Criminal Appeal rejected these claims, finding that Mr Justice O'Higgins' ruling was correct. The court said that the admission of an alternative possibility on a matter is not a ground where a trial judge should grant a direction. In an ironic coincidence, the only other case in Irish history which resulted in a conviction for using a car to carry out a murder also happened in the town of Arklow. 
In 2016, Marta Herda was found guilty of murdering Chaba Orsas by deliberately driving the car they were both travelling in off the pier at South Quay in Arklow. For more details, see episode 109. Daniel MacDonald's family have a stark reminder of the young man's short life and senseless death every time they pass through the main street of Arklow town. His cousin, Lorraine Kenny, said, quote, We have asked ourselves over and over why. We ache to hold him, see him, hear him, but we never will. Anthony O'Reilly took that away from us. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks to CS677, Joan Taylor, John Farrelly, Richard Lenhart, Kira Malloy, Mark Cheshire and Paddy's Pocket. Please do check it out at patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This week's episode was researched and written by the amazing Aileen Spearin. Additional writing and production was by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thank you.